Hello and Happy New Year from the Bikes or Death podcast. My name is Patrick and I'm your host. This is the podcast that talks about bikepacking, adventuring, and the cool people that make up the sport. On this episode, I sat down with Jared Foster. He's a travel and conservation photographer. Um, we got a chance to meet up out at Pace Bend Park just outside of Austin, Texas. We rode mountain bikes in the morning, and then uh, in the afternoon, we sat down at a picnic table right there on the banks of the Colorado River and had a great talk, and I really enjoyed it. He is a uh, professor of practice there at Texas Tech University, and he takes his students bikepacking uh, on one or two trips every single year, and which is great. We, we talk about that on the show. And then he also uh, is working on developing a route that he calls the Great Plains Project, and you can follow that hashtag on Instagram. And uh, that's going to be a route that travels all the way from Lubbock, Texas to Banff, Canada, and it's like 3,500 miles off-road and just full of bikepacking goodness. So we have a lot of great things that uh, we talked about in this episode, and I'm excited for you to hear it. So let's get to it. Jared Foster, thank you so much for uh, meeting with me today. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's a beautiful day here in Texas. We are at uh, Pace Bend Park, um, just west of Austin, and we're sitting uh, on the side of uh, Colorado River that goes into Lake Travis. It's the biggest part of the Colorado River, I think. Is it? The widest. I don't uh, know. If it may be the deepest, too. Yeah, it's beautiful out here. Well, thank you so much again. Yeah. Uh, let's get into it. So um, tell me a little bit first about how you got into um, biking, bikepacking. Um, so for anyone listening, uh, Jared is a professor at Texas Tech University. He teaches, I think, adventure media. It's one of the classes. I one teach. of the yeah. classes. Yeah. And then he also does bikepacking, and we'll get into all that. But before we do, I wanted to just get a brief history of, yeah, your introduction to cycling and the world yeah. of bikepacking and stuff. Well, I think, you know, cycling, I think a lot of us always have that history of you, you have a bike when you're a kid, and uh, it, it was a, a great mechanism for freedom, right? Like it gave yeah. you a lot of independence. Uh, I got my bike, and I also had a cattle ranch in <laughs> north central Texas to ride around on. So maybe I had a bit more freedom than some some people did yeah. uh, that only had like a street or a sidewalk. And and so uh, my cousin and I, we, we would we were around the same age, and we just rode our bikes everywhere, all over that, that ranch. And we had <clears throat> plenty of paths and trails to follow. And and that turned into motorcycles uh, along the way. Um, and then at some point, uh, it, without cycling for years in college, uh, just decided to buy a mountain bike and uh, got a little bit more into mountain biking, did a couple of races. Where was college? Uh, college was actually at Texas Tech University. Okay. So, I, yeah, I, I work at my alma mater. There you go. And, um, and then... I, I honestly, I got so wrapped up in photography, uh, a lot of the travel associated with that. I was in a band that, that toured all over the state. Um, and so the cycling kind of went by the wayside for a little while. And then right after uh, I actually finished my, my PhD, uh, I kind of, as a way to reward myself, I, I went out and bought a, a Cannondale mountain bike. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I don't know 
any reason why I bought a Cannondale over any other brand. I just always liked the. Dude, the I grew brand up and, and Cannondale was the one. Yeah, you know, that's yeah. what I wanted. I go to the bike shop every you know every yeah. week and go drool over the Super V's. Yeah, or yeah. the Killer V's, whatever it was. Yeah. I can't remember. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you know, I didn't buy an expensive one, but I bought a, a an expensive one relative to what I'd been riding before. Yeah. And and just got just really got into it, and I was introduced to cycling in. In, in a much more intense way at a time in my life where racing wasn't necessarily the most important thing to do anymore. Uh, I, I, I was, I'm always into performance, but, but, uh, never in a super competitive way. Uh, but I was way more into exploring because as a photographer, that's, I, I work outdoors most of the time. I'm hiking a mountain. Uh, I'm, you know, I'm having to, to, uh, four wheel over something to, to get to my location. And so, uh, that, the bike just gave me another way to explore and yeah. especially explore locally. Um, so I, I, I just really got into mountain biking at that point. And then whenever bike packing really kind of became a thing, whenever the term was coined, um, I, I totally gravitated to it because what was more sexy than putting bags on a bike and, and traveling a little bit lighter than you would on a tour. Yeah. The and answer is easy. Nothing is more sexy yeah, than that. Yeah. Yeah. That's the sexiest. So, yeah. It, it, so it was a great way to combine, you know, my, my, my passion for travel, exploration yeah. and biking. Yeah, yeah. That's awesome. So, uh, we're all bike nerds here. Yeah. You we're right down the road from Chumba headquarters Yeah, yeah. and you got, a, uh, something percolating over there. Do you want to give a shout out to Chumba? And yeah, absolutely. They talk were, about what you got going yeah, on. Yeah. They've been great to work with too. Um, I just bought a, uh, a Chumba Terlingua. So it's their, their kind of all road gravel bike. And I love gravel. Um, I've been doing a whole lot more gravel this, this season, uh, both for recreation and for, and for work actually. And, and a lot of dirt touring, uh, across Texas. So, uh, I, I, I just been kind of, uh, wanting, you know, waiting out, doing a whole lot of shopping, uh, online, uh, determining which, which company I wanted to go with for, really this bike that I, I'd have for a long time. We talked about this earlier. I've got three kids and, you know, yeah. before they get too expensive, <laughs> I wanted to make sure I, I kind of had this, this one bike taken care of. Yeah. And so, yeah, I, I bought a, a steel, uh, Terlingua. And what, what, what tires are you going with? I'm, I'm uh, curious. I, I love the gravel Kings. So I, that's what I run right now. And so I, I what width are those? Uh, the ones that I'm having them put on are 38s. Uh, okay. uh yeah, on my, on my RLT, I run 43s. Uh, and I, I love the 43s, and I, I'm not getting rid of that bike anytime soon. So if I if I want to swap uh, tire widths, I can put the 43s on the the Chumba. But I got I got 38s, and, and that's mostly because the first thing I'll probably do on the bike is a is a gravel Century uh, that Spinistry puts on in the DFW area. Which one is that? Uh, it's a the check, chain ring masker. The chain ring. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a good group that's doing a lot of gravel racing and events here in Texas. Spinstry. Yeah. So they're they're good to look up if you're in the Texas area. And yeah, just a free shout out to Chumba. Um, man, I yeah. mean they're definitely on anyone's short list if you look at what they're doing over there. And they're yeah. based out of Texas. And um, I have some friends that have some of their bikes. Yeah. I'm not that lucky yet, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, they. I mean they build their frames in Austin, and, and Vince was super responsive. Uh, whenever I, I sent an email, and and I've never sent an email to a bike manufacturer, especially to talk about a, a semi custom build. And and uh, uh, what I loved, uh, he he actually didn't respond to me 
immediately it was his out of office reply <laughs> but his out of out of office reply was some i i can't remember i think it was like the single speed uh national championships he was r- racing there you and go. it said that in his out of office reply yeah. i'm like these are the kind of people i want to buy bikes from exactly because they're all cyclists there i mean every one of them are cyclists of course there's not many of them in the shop but they, I, they ride bikes i used to own a business and i would tell people part of the value of buying from me was that if you have a problem you can come punch me in the face <laughs> there's a value there yeah, you know, like, yeah. I mean, not to say you're going to go punch them in the right, face, but right. it's, you know, yeah. being tongue in cheek. But yeah. my point is, is that you can, I mean, when you're done here today, I think you're going to go pay, pay him a visit yeah, and, yeah. oh, I left my phone on <laughs> and, uh, but you can go and talk to me and see your bike being built. Right. Um, if you got a problem, yeah. you know, they're local guys, you can go and talk to them. Yeah. And that's a big consideration. The other thing is like, the the custom aspect of it because mm-hmm. whenever you do and what we're doing is often as we are we're on the bike and we we're talking about this earlier too is being comfortable mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. the more comfortable you are the longer you can go and the more you can enjoy your experiences yeah yeah and so yeah I'm, yeah one yeah. of the coolest things that it i haven't been by the shop yet and uh you haven't I, seen it i haven't seen it uh-huh. yeah and well I, I say that um i emailed vince earlier this week told him i was going to be be in austin for a couple of days meeting with different folks and and uh, asked, just asked me if I could bring him a coffee. Uh, and he said, absolutely. And he sent me pictures of the, the frame as, as it was about to go to powder uh, the next day. So I thought that was pretty cool. You know? Yeah. And, and I'm sure, you know, if, if, you, if you go the customer route, you know, you're, you're going to have that level of engagement. Hopefully you'd have that level of engagement yeah. with whoever's building your bike. But I thought that was pretty neat that, you know, I, I didn't ask for anything to do with the bike. I didn't even say I wanted to come in and check on check in on my build. I really just want to go meet the guys. Yeah. Uh, I do too. And, wanna... and talk with them. Yeah. 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 yeah I want to head over to their shop and see what they got going on there. Yeah. Well that's exciting. Um all right. So on your website it says travel and conservation photographer. So yep. can you talk a little bit about maybe your personal ethos with I don't know, photography and, and what you know what your mission is because obviously conservation is a part yeah. of it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I grew up outdoors. I grew up on a cattle ranch, and and I, you know, I watched my, I watched my grandfather really steward the land really well, and um, I think because of that, you know, I, be, I became really tied to to the outdoors, and you know, I just have an affinity for people that that want to, you know, under under great intentions, manage and steward what you know our 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 natural resources. Yeah. And uh, you know, a, along the way, when I went to college, I I came to college as a as an agricultural communication major, and uh, I got I got my undergrad, my master's in that. But at some point between those two degrees, I I really uh, just fell in love with photography. Uh, I had to take a photography class, and and then I got hooked up with uh, the state photographer of Texas, Wyman Menzer, and I worked with him for for several years pretty closely. And and uh, you know I watched how he worked um, in the outdoor world, and I, I found my niche was was supporting. Uh, organizations and publications that they really had a bent toward conservation. It allowed me to travel, allowed me to to be yeah. outside, but it also allowed me to to have a purpose for my work um, in a lot of ways. Yeah. So um, maybe you can talk about how you got into photography. At that yeah. point, did you just pick up, uh, you know, a camera and start shooting, or did yeah. you take a class, or how did how did you get into well, it? Kind of. So the the agricultural communication program. Uh, obligates you to take a photography class or at least at the time it did this was you know a good decade or, or more back and um, I, I took I took a photography class and it was one of those things that 
at the time I was, I was in the band, I was doing something creative, but collaboratively. Um, I grew up drawing and, and doing different types of artwork. Uh, I, I, I would, I would go down to the Creek in front of our house on the ranch and I, I would draw, you know, wildlife and things like that. And, but I hadn't been doing that for a while. I was mostly playing music. That was my creative outlet. And I was writing, um, I was a magazine writer, uh, all through college. And then, uh, I, had a chance or I, I didn't have the chance I was obligated to take this photography class and I remember uh, that year for Christmas because I took it in the spring uh, my parents did probably the only time I've ever had anything uh, specific to tell them after they asked what I wanted for Christmas really yeah it, wow. and, and I usually you, have a list no usually I just ask for socks and underwear but, <laughs> and, and, and they follow through on that nice. <laughs> which is good but uh, no th- this time I said you know what I'm taking a class a photography class I do need a camera uh, an SLR camera, uh, and and so I got a I got a Canon Rebel you know film SLR camera and and uh, and I just went whole whole head into it. I mean I I, I loved it. I, I fell into it passionately. Uh, it was a way for me to at the time be individually creative. Um, and then uh, somebody told me that I needed to take a class down in in Junction, Texas, uh, which is uh, right there, kind of in that. Uh, that zone where four ecosystems meet, uh, you know, you've got the hill country and the Edwards Plateau yeah. meeting the Lana River watershed and the Chihuahuan Desert. And um, Texas Tech has a campus down there. And somebody told me, you need to take this junction photography course taught by Wyman Menzer, who's the, the state photographer. And uh, I said, absolutely. And so I met with Wyman. He he taught one class a week um, up at Texas Tech because he lived a, a couple, uh, about 100 miles away from Lubbock. And uh, met with him after he taught this class. Talked to him. Uh, we we kind of found out we had some similarities in growing up, and and uh, you know just built a, a nice bit of rapport with him at that point. And he admitted me into the class. And and after that, after taking a class that was built around what this man did full time, day in and day out, and I was doing it right beside him uh, as a colleague, he, you know, he made every student feel like a colleague as opposed to just students that were there to, to learn from his tutelage. Uh, yeah. it, 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 it was, it was that watershed moment for me. Like, this is what I'm going to do. Yeah. That's impactful. Otherwise I was going to go to law school. I mean, my whole plan was good to go to wow. law school, take yeah. the LSAT that summer. Oh, and wow. I didn't do it. Uh, I said, I'll, I'm going to be a photographer. And yeah. So. You can, there's, um, my buddy, Ryan, uh, Ryan Thornton, he just graduated from Texas A&M with a RPTS degree. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I was saying about him that, uh, he's one of those people that, um, really has a chance to make an impact on people as a teacher yeah. because he's genuinely passionate about it. And he wants to share that passion for the outdoors. And, you know, so I was just thinking about that whenever you were talking about your professor, about how he, yeah. he like took you under his wing and you got to be side by side yeah. and, and actually probably pick up on the passion that he had for it and see how it was done. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, and that's what he did full time. He was an adjunct professor, which means he just taught one class okay. uh, for tech. Yeah. Uh, each semester, he was and, and still is the real deal. I mean, he he's the he was a you know probably one of the top five wildlife photographers in the in North America for all all during the eighties and and shot for uh, a bunch of the what we call the big three magazines: Field Stream, uh, Outdoor Life, and Sports of Field. And those uh, are the big three. I, I, well, they were at the time. I don't okay. know what, what it is now, but um, but uh, and he transitioned to shooting a whole lot more Texas culture. Uh, in Texas outdoors, uh, and you know, 
he and he's this super charismatic guy. I mean, he's he's definitely a, a person that you you just have to meet uh, yeah. to take it all in. Um, but he's also you know just a super mentor and and has has been for me for years and uh, and a, and a big inspiration for what I do and who I get to work with. And, and right. in fact, the first the first picture I ever had published in a in a larger magazine was a picture of him. Uh, scratching the belly of a Mexican ground squirrel. And it was my entree into working with uh, Texas Highways Magazine, which is, uh, you know, a, a big magazine here in the state. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, that's a great segue. I mean, let's talk about a little bit, if you can, um, how do you break into this inter- industry, so to speak? Yeah. Um, there is always that, that saying, you know, it's, it's not what you know, it's who you know. And, and uh, I, I believe that to be somewhat true. I mean, you, you've, you've really, to be, especially to be, a, a creative professional, you've really got to be good. You got to know what you're doing and you got to bring something to the table from, from what you offer the service. But it is, you know, uh, a lot about who you know as well. And, and I was very fortunate to work with Wyman for years and, and, uh, Wyman, uh, that, that picture of him scratching the, this Mexican ground squirrel, which we, we, it's kind of a funny story. We, we, we worked that one squirrel for like a week uh, we, we found it and every morning we would go spend hours with that ground squirrel. So he and I probably have like the biggest catalog of Mexican ground squirrel images out there. You know, it's a pretty, pretty niche animal, but you know, we, how we are, still have How it. are you interacting with it? Did uh, you use food or? So we would, we would put some seed out at first yeah. and, uh, it, it, but really just for it to become a whole lot more accustomed to our presence. And then we just kind of, kind of pulled back and, and, uh. And, and and watched and photographed its its natural history take place that week. But there was a point where Wyman said, "I think I can, I think I can get it, to I can I think I can touch it." Yeah. And so uh, and he did. He, and he's kind of a, an animal whisperer, anyways. But, <laughs> That's uh, amazing. But anyways, that that picture, he uh, he said, "Man, I'd really love to send that into the magazine uh, and, and just to see, just to show him." And uh, he sent it into. Uh, the, the, the photo editor at the time. And, and then he contacted me and said, Hey, we'd love to run this image in the magazine. I said, that's perfect. And, but, but that it was, was your intro. It was into... an entree to at least that particular publication. Yeah. Um, and uh, word of mouth spreads, um, all these magazines, especially in the state, they're based out of Austin. So, um, and they all work, you know, within the, the, the same circles. And, and so, you know, my name got thrown around to parks and wildlife and, and eventually it, it, uh, it uh, got put in front of the Nature Conservancy, and, and for years that they were they were my biggest client, um, and and I love working for them because they they gave me and other photographers you know those dream assignments that you know that, that like to do this kind of work. Uh, they'd call after they acquired a property out in the Davis Mountains or on the the Gulf Coast, and say you know we just bought you know a nineteen thousand acre ranch that we're going to put under a conservation easement and. Um, we need you to go down there and, and, and document the ranch. Uh, so I would have, you know, three or four days all to myself. Wow. And I'm the only person on that, <laughs> you know, 19 or 40,000 acres or whatever it may be. Yeah, and, that's amazing. Yeah. And, and, and it took, you know, it takes research, takes a lot of con- conversation with these people to find out what, what you need to photograph, what you need to focus on. But you also learn so much about a particular place, a particular ecology, yeah. And those kinds of things. I'm realizing yeah. now I made some very bad career mistakes <laughs> in my life. <laughs> well, I, I just, you know, it, 
I, I'm very fortunate to get to do what I get to do uh, uh-huh. in in all areas of my, my professional life. But it comes at a it comes at a cost, and it's yeah. because I work all the time. Well, yeah. It, yeah, I was about to say it's not by accident. Yeah, you yeah. know, as we yeah. as we go on, I think it'll be clear that I mean, none of this is by accident. You're yeah. this is a business, and you're working it, and yeah. you get to enjoy the future fruit, fruits of your labors, yeah. which is yeah. the way it should be. Yeah. When you're talking about taking pictures and learning to take pictures. I feel like I'm, you know, just now kind of getting interested in that. Uh-huh. Um, what I struggle with is telling the difference between iPhone photography yeah. and a professional photographer. Yeah. yeah. And you were talking, I mean, it's hard to break in and, you know, you really got to know your stuff. Yeah. What What's the difference there? Whenever I was kind of breaking into a kind of a more national and international education market, because there, there was a, a point just a few years ago where I was writing books photography books for um peach pit and, and rocky nook and and uh I, I loved doing that but you also noticed all of these trends come come up and they they were mostly kind of consumer-based trends and and I, iphone photography was one of them and you know it, it was called iphonography i think there you go and uh which is catchy and and uh, i i never really uh, resonated with the idea of iPhoneography because to me it was just all photography. Uh, it, it's it's not it's not the camera. And you know we joke about certain things about well, I don't want to use my I I I don't gravitate to using my iPhone for much. You know it, if it didn't have a camera on it, it probably wouldn't hurt my heart yeah. any um, because I gravitate to using a a mirrorless or an SLR camera um, because of the amount of control I have over the the, the picture creatively. Uh, but it, at the end of the day, you know, it's, uh, there, there's, there's a cliche in the photography world. It's not about the camera. It's about the person behind the camera. And I mean, that, that resonates. Uh, it's, you know, you could put a, an iPhone and if that's all you had, uh, you, your cameras break or what, what not, you bet I'm going to pull out that iPhone and I'm going to make, uh, good pictures, uh, or try to make good pictures, um, using the same concepts, creative, approaches that I would with, with, you know, these, these larger cameras with more buttons and, and more, you know, kind of function. So is the difference, you, you said your ability to control it with an iPhone, is it possible for you to get close to the same quality? You just, you're going to get a little bit more lucky maybe with the lighting because you can't no, I mean, con- control it as much? Well, or? no, the, I mean, the lighting's the lighting, right? Well, the lighting, I mean, but I mean, yeah. uh, you know, aperture, all of those so, fancy So, terms. yeah, so, some of the, some of the creative controls, you simply just don't have as as much nuance with uh, an, a smartphone camera as you would a, a bigger a bigger camera with interchangeable lenses optics that are are made to actually have those adjustments and that functionality um, and you know honestly a lot of it has to do with the sensor size uh, the the sensor in an iPhone is is tiny compared to the sensor in in a, a mirrorless camera or full frame DSLR camera and, and uh, the the actual size of the medium that the picture is being recorded on matters a ton for the, basically that creative control that especially revolves around depth of field, which is what the aperture controls. Okay. Yeah. And th- so does that impact your ability to have more options in post-processing as well? It Yeah. It, uh, the, the sensor in the, the bit depth, the, the, act- the just the gobs of information that a larger sensor can uh, capture yeah. gives you a whole lot more post-processing headroom. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We're getting, right. we're getting real technical here now. No, that's okay. That's okay. <laughs> yeah. But it's like I'm talking bikes. You. I mean, it's, it's, it's really yeah. like talking bikes. I mean, bikes. it's all gear because yeah. where I'm going with this is that there's so many people, me included, who yeah. are 
um, doing adventures. We're doing a, a route. Uh, some buddies and I were, were doing a route in Big Bend Ranch State Park mm-hmm. um, coming up in about a week. Yeah, yeah. And uh, that's, you know, we're going to put out route information and we want to have good pictures. Yeah. Like you want, yeah. uh, I want good audio with my podcast. I want yeah. good pictures uh, whenever yeah. I put out a route or, or whatever information, you know, whatever I'm putting out there. And so, you know, for somebody like me who's getting into it, and I think there's probably a lot of people that can relate to that, what I've been doing, and please tell me if I'm wrong, is I've been trying to get better with an iPhone, you know, yeah. learning how to yeah. use it as a tool. Yeah. I'm trying to, you know, edit my pictures and post-processing and, and yeah. learning. I mean, I'm very much in the infancy. Yeah. So I guess my, my question is like, is that is that a good place to start or should I start with like a, a Sony RS... X one or whatever it is, uh, you know, point I, and shoot. No, I, I think I think you should start with your iPhone at, at this point. I mean, the the resolution's good on them. The the, the color looks good uh, on an iPhone or, or a smartphone in general. Uh, yeah. Um. I, I just I've used iPhones. Since yeah, they've me been too. Out, so but yeah, know. smartphone. Yeah. yeah. But um. But no, the the resolution's there. It, it's there are there are certain technical nuances uh, that make them less attractive for me to use them but i also approach most things uh photographically as if i'm going to shoot something that's going to be you know a mural in a museum or something uh, and there there's just certain things that i don't like about the files that come off of a smartphone yeah uh that uh that kind of uh mitigate me using using it most of the time and, yeah, I and and honestly, you know, the the mirrorless market now, uh, which I used to shoot, um, you know, traditional digital SLRs, the, the big cameras, the big interchangeable lenses, and I've completely switched to a mirrorless uh, platform, which is the exact same type platform just without mirrors, so it takes a lot of the bulk out of the camera. Um, and so, as a photographer who's very willing to pack on a lot of extra weight to make sure that I can cover what I want to cover. Um, the, the platforms are getting lighter, smaller, but higher quality. Um, and so uh, there, there's, there's really, really great options. Once, once you're, you're kind of, you feel like you want to go beyond what the iPhone can offer you in terms of functionality and creative control. Yeah. There's options out there that actually don't, you know, raise the weight that, that you have to carry with you. Yeah. Well that, I mean, that's perfect. That's what I was going to ask. So at what point does it make sense to not keep getting better equipment? Because for me, if you put a DSLR in my hand, you know, it probably even in a year from now, I still probably couldn't uh, get get the benefit out of carrying all the weight and and dealing with in the batteries. I mean, I'm not a professional photographer. All I want to do is be able to capture good enough images so that yeah. you know people will be inspired and they'll like to look at them. And right. That's right. and I'll like to look and, at them. And 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 that's that's the thing. You know, you you don't you don't necessarily have to to put every you know, widget on, on something to, to make it functional for you and, yeah. and work for you. And if it is working for you, then that's great. I think if you become inspired by the type of photography that you might see from somebody else and you want to know how to get that, and it turns out that that person's actually lugging around, you know, a 15-pound a setup worth of cameras and lenses, then that's when you start thinking, well, maybe I want, maybe I want to break into that, that technology yeah, but uh, you know, I don't, I don't. You just don't go after it, whole hog. It, it's just not practical, and I'm, I'm so practical about things. Like it's just not a very great way of approaching it. Well, I think it's a all. terrible way. I yeah. mean, that's why I was curious. Yeah. Um, you buy, you buy a cheap bike yes. when you're learning how to get. You know, when you're just getting into it, because you don't know. Yeah. If that investment's going to last you, 
uh, and then that's when you start, you know, the bike markets, all the technology markets haven't figured out. You know, their, their biggest sellers uh, from, a, from a business perspective are not the high-end stuff. It's always going to be the entry level, you yeah. know, the specialized rock hoppers and the Canon Rebels uh, that, that they make their bread and butter on because that's where people start and, and then move on from there. Yeah, and th- those are great bikes. I mean, a yeah, lot of those cheap yeah. bikes, I mean, they're perfectly fine. Yeah, I mean, I, I, the group I take uh, bikepacking every year for Adventure Media, we, uh, they, they're all on Kona Mahunas, I think, uh, now. And Did y'all get a sponsorship deal? No, so, so what we do is, is we partner with uh, Texas Tech's Outdoor Pursuit Center, and uh, it, it's, it's basically uh, um, out, an outdoor programming uh, yeah. organization within Tech. Yeah, we have a and M Rec Sports. Yeah, yeah, yeah so same, same very yeah. similar thing. And uh, so they they've got a fleet of bikes, and and we were able to get a, a really good deal uh, for the students to rent those. So instead of buying a book for the class, you know, part part of what would probably be a book for the class is is uh, bike cost, bike okay. rental fees. Yeah, if they don't already have a bike. Yeah, yeah, that I mean that's freaking awesome. But yeah. I think we need to go back and let's set the stage for what you just said. Yeah. Um, yeah, this this is probably one of the most exciting things about. There's a lot of photographers. No, I mean, no offense, right? Yeah. But I mean, yeah, how many? Tons. Yeah. <laughs> how many? How many uh, people are um, professors at universities and yeah. taking kids bike packing? I mean, you might be the only one. I there, don't know. There's one other. One other. Well, I'd say so, there's, there's two others. Yeah. But so yeah. you know, give me the history. Like, how yeah. did this happen? How did you convince the school to do it? Was yeah. it your idea? I mean, yeah. you know. Yeah. Um. So. So I love teaching classes that, that are super hands-on um, and that marry the theoretical stuff that they're learning in these large lectures and, and those, you know, kind of typical academic courses that you would take at a university with what they really want to be doing when they graduate. And fortunately, I get to, I get to work with a bunch of creative students that want to go into creative production be, and, and be photographers, videographers, filmmakers, you know, uh, designers, whatever it may be. and and uh, my my role at the university, I'm, I'm what's called a professor of practice. So my tenure uh, is not based on my research output. It's based on my involvement in the industry and how I bring that into the classroom. So it was I was already photographing professionally, working with all sorts of different people in different locations and environments. And so I'm able to bring that directly into the classroom uh, nearly every day uh, when I teach. And yeah, the, the big difference is yeah, bringing in information and then taking the kids out of the university so, and taking them so to the... Yeah, and so that junction class that I was talking about earlier with Wyman, it was this this hugely experiential course uh, for everybody. Uh, it, it impacted me just as heavily as it impacted everybody else that was taking the class. Like Nobody goes to that class without having something like click. And um, I wanted to continue making those kinds of classes uh, because there's a history there that... Wyman stopped teaching a class uh, at some point, and I took it over. So, uh, it, and I, I kept it the same, the same format. I started teaching study abroads that were very much based in on being like on assignment travel photographers, and um, and then so this idea, uh, I, I really got into to working more in the adventure media market uh, a little bit more. And I said, you know what, I'd like really like to teach a class called adventure media, and 
as far as I knew. After they stopped scratching their heads, they said. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I work with a, an extremely supportive administration. Uh, they they love hands-on on coursework. Uh, they're really supportive of the type of professor that I am and because awesome. we, we, we have several in our college. Um, and they, uh, my, my boss essentially was like, let's, let's make that happen. So the first year we taught adventure media, it was a long semester, typical long semester, meet twice a week inside a classroom. We'd break down different things and then there were optional and required field trips that were a part of it. But the whole idea uh, initially was to schedule it across five three-day weekends across an entire year. And we would go cover different activities and experiences that that are are relevant to the adventure media market. That was ideal, but we just didn't make it happen. The next time uh, we taught it was after I'd learned about Kurt Ref Snyder's uh, bikepacking, geology by bikepacking class that he teaches out at um, Prescott College in Prescott, Arizona. I've heard of that. And so do you know who Kurt Ref Snyder is? So you, you know his prowess in the mountain biking and the ultra endurance uh, field. When I learned he was a professor, I thought, this is awesome. You know, this, this, I can relate. And, and then I found out he, he had had this class that he and Caitlin Boyle co-created where they took students out bikepacking. And it's, it's the perfect way to teach his discipline geology uh, when you can be amongst it. Right. Well, it was the perfect. My wife is a geologist. So I actually told her about uh, Kurt and, she was, needless to say, just super jealous that yeah. they didn't uh, use the like same yeah. <laughs> mode of transportation because, right. yeah, once someone says it, you're like, oh, duh, that makes perfect yeah. sense. Yeah, it's a great way because we know, you know, traveling by bike is, is slower, so you get to appreciate where you're, yeah. where you're at for sure. Well, no, you're in it that, and you're yeah. seeing more of it. And Paladero Canyon, where you live, is a great opportunity to go, yeah, or close to where you live, uh, and yeah. go see some great geology by bike. So, yep, yep. And so we, we just, uh, it, it, around the same time, another professor that's in our college who's got a background in outdoor, outdoor experiences and, and cycling as well, approached me and, and asked about the Adventure Media course. And, and uh, I said, why don't we teach, why don't we co-teach it? And let's do a, let's do it, but let's go bikepacking in Big Bend Ranch State Park. And uh, we, we had to propose kind of an alternative schedule, but what we do now is uh, we, we base the whole class around this central expedition during spring break. Uh, we have three class meetings, uh, required class meetings leading up to spring break, and we have three required class meetings after spring break, and they're all held on Saturdays. And then uh, we have you know little training sessions, voluntary training sessions beforehand, and and we we have to interview and kind of vet the students. Um, it's open to the entire university because it's an honors class, um, and it, I think this year this year we had we had forty three applicants, and we're, we're taking sixteen. Wow. So and and we interviewed about thirty of those. And how do you vet them? Uh, well, we we I mean physical. Equipment, yeah. experience, mostly experience and 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 the idea of what they what they're going to get out of that class. Uh, we we never pick a a route or uh, an area that we we know would just slaughter somebody, but we do make it tough enough um, to where they they experience the fact that if they're going to be working in this type of market, they've got to be able to do this stuff, and um, and at a pretty decent level. Because sometimes you're working with, you know, the the best of the best in that 
in that sport or, or, you know, activity. And so, uh, we, we do allude to the physical challenge, but it's very hard, at least for me to make a sole decision based on the physicality of a, of a student, because we give them enough time that they can put on a base level of fitness, but we do make sure that they know that they're expected to actually do that. Yeah, that's so, fair. You know they're they're on they're on holiday break right now, and uh, you know we we tell them like don't don't pig out and just sit around like take it upon yourself to to be active. Uh, and uh, my my colleague in it who, who's actually unfortunately not teaching uh, with me this this year uh, in the class he he always tells people like you know if if you need a if you need some sort of a program to to get behind just do the couch to five k over the break uh, that way you at least come in uh, not not shocking your muscles uh, yeah. when we get on bikes. Yeah. Uh, so so they at least know the challenge. They know the rigor. And it's got kind of a reputation now. Uh, this will be uh, the third time that we do it in this format. And and people know. Like, word spreads. Like, okay, there, it's it's not as easy as you think. <laughs> but it's going to be one of the, you know, hopefully the greatest experiences you have at, at college, in college. Yeah, what are they taking away from it? What, what has it been like to be the the guy taking these kids out into the, I mean, young adults, yeah. sorry, yeah, yeah, kids, yeah. Know, but, uh, yeah. Yeah, we do it too. We're, I'm old. Um, but yeah, I mean, what, I mean, what is that like to take them out there? Are you getting some first timers and uh, yeah. some experienced oh, guys? Yeah. Is it, yeah. I assume it would yeah. range the gamut of experience with this type of outdoor activity. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, I think, I think most people that gravitate to the class now, they, they, they have a, a sincere interest in, in the outdoors and in working in the outdoors or using, the outdoors is this main element in storytelling, but um, they uh, yeah it, it does run the gamut. We we have a student going this year who is a is an avid hiker, um, always was actively outdoors. She plays rugby for Texas Tech. Uh, she's she's this I mean super interesting, probably the funniest student I've ever I've met in my life. And she she didn't know how to ride a bike until a couple months ago. Wow. And, and she, uh, but, but we knew that she'd be able to do it. Like we knew she'd, she'd be able to take that challenge on and learn how to ride a bike Yeah, because she wanted so passionately to do this class and she's going to be great at it. Um, uh, but you know we, why so, she doesn't know how to ride a bike? I don't think she just, I mean, she just never learned yeah. uh, growing up. I, I don't, something I, I wonder about sometimes like, you know, I was riding a bike at four yeah, you know, and you were talking about how you grew up riding bikes as a kid around yeah. the ranch, and yeah. so did I. But yeah. I got—I know so many people now who got eight, nine, ten-year-olds, and they don't know how to ride a bike. I know. Yeah, it's just—it's—it's it's yeah. a weird cultural shift, I, I guess. I—I feel—I feel so obligated to make sure that my kids know how to ride a bike, and it's oh, not yeah. because I'm a cyclist; <laughs> it's because that's what you do. <laughs> yeah, you know, my, my the my, freedom that you get—I mean, and that's another thing you were talking about as a kid. Yeah. that freedom that you found when you got that bike and you could just go out exploring. Yeah. I mean, yeah. that hasn't changed for me and it hasn't yeah. changed for you. Yeah. And taking that away from a kid and sticking them in a um, yeah. preaching now, but no. I'll shut up. No, but I, I, but I, I mean, I, I, I'm with you. You know, yeah. I, I think it's 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 have, have mandatory read, part of youth. Yeah. Have you read Last Child in the Woods? No. If you read that, I think you'd, you'd maybe have uh, have an understanding of why it probably doesn't happen. You know, we, we've become so, uh, a society that's kind of so worried about our, our, our young, mm-hmm. our, our youth and, and, and especially in neighborhoods, you know, stranger mm-hmm. danger, the, you know, if you climbed, if you climbed a tree in somebody else's yard and it broke and you fell down, you <laughs> broke your arm. Well, that, that person doesn't want to be responsible, Yeah. but 
there there may be some ground for a lawsuit there. Like we're so litigious nowadays too that so I think there's there's some factors like that that probably actually do keep uh people from giving the their children the ability to, to yeah. just move. And and like I said, I, I grew I, up on I a ranch. That. I mean I, I got to go everywhere I grew because up it wasn't city. a city. Yeah. I grew up in the city and my parents yeah. kicked me out in the, you know, yeah. after breakfast, my mom would kick me out and she yeah. wouldn't let me back until it's dinner time. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, you know, but I, I grew yeah. up in the city and I, I wouldn't do that with my kids, but um, it doesn't mean you right. can't do family bike rides bike to the ride. park. Yeah, exactly. We do that a lot. Yeah. Um, we were talking about how we're going to do some bike packing with our kids earlier. Yeah. yeah. Um, but so then, it, you know, I, I get what you're saying, but I think a lot of it is just lazy parenting. I mean, the parents, <laughs> I mean, all, yeah. you know. Well, that, or parents you know, that don't simply take the time to do it. You know, we. Yeah, we lazy. We, but we, like, there's a lot of people that just work all the time. And they yeah. work those kinds of hours that that are, aren't conducive to even spending time with family, let alone teaching somebody how yeah. to ride a bike. Well, that's where I was going with it. Yeah. and. And that, you know, it's everybody's life and they can live it however they right. want to, but that, that's a choice too. Like that yeah. house, that car, that whatever it is yeah. Yeah. that is, has you a slave to your job and yeah. then you can't spend the time with your kids. Like, yeah. I, I, I actually think that's probably maybe a bigger part of the picture is like these, you know, there's a lot of parents that are putting their priority on maybe material things mm-hmm. and their mm-hmm. work and not mm-hmm. taking the time to take their kids camping and yeah. take them on a bike ride. It's just a freaking bike ride around the park or, right. you know, right. let yeah. them like learn how to ride a bike. Yeah, you know? no, exactly. <laughs> my, my middle, my middle daughter, she, she learned to ride. Uh, she, she never had training wheels. So we, we put her on a, the strider. a strider. Yeah. And, uh, at, at three, she was pedaling. Oh, and, yeah. and I thought that was really cool. And she's still kind of a wild card when you're on a bike, whether she's five now, but you know, you, you really got to watch her. I mean, I've, I've, I've endowed before because I've had to avoid her cutting in front of me, but, but, um, I have a film of me wrecking. <laughs> I was, I was filming my daughter and she wrecked. And so I was like, Oh, I got to get this on film. Yeah, and I and wound up wrecking. <laughs> yeah. But you know, I, 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 there's a lot of pride as a parent, I think when stuff like that happens. Um, but there's also just a ton of potential fun and opportunity yeah. and adventure you you now have with your your kids and yeah so uh, much at that fun. point yeah i think uh, my buddy and i were talking the other day about how um as parents you know we we have choices to make with our kids and it's mm-hmm. like i can choose to allow them to experience some pain like they can fall down and scrape, scrape their knee or they can yeah. fall off that you know sofa or whatever it is um but, you know, in my opinion, pain is a learning mechanism. And when we take that yeah. away from our kids, I think it's been shown that they don't develop as quickly because they don't need to come up with, yeah. you know, reaction time or spatial awareness or, yeah. I mean, you know, these things really are, in my opinion, teaching mechanisms for your kids. Yeah. And so I got yeah. a two-year-old that I'm hoping is on the same yeah, track yeah. as yours. Like yeah. She's on a strider and she's, yeah. you know, going off curves already and yeah. stuff. Oh, that's and awesome. that's so awesome. I'm hoping by three she'll, yeah. she'll be pedaling. Yeah. My, my oldest daughter, she's, she's seven now, but uh, I'm trying to think, well, I guess when, whenever she just turned six, maybe, um, she, we were, we were up on campus. We live pretty close to the Texas Tech campus and there's a great path around the rec fields that, that you can take and uh, your kids on on a run or a bike ride and um, there's an area that it's kind of a, a pavilion type area and it's got some steps that lead up to it and we were just taking a break and and uh, I just I, I was like you want to see something neat and <laughs> and so I, I rode off the steps yeah you know and there's only two uh, <laughs> but uh, so it wasn't anything super impressive but to a five and, and six year old or four and six year old it was 
and I just rolled off the steps and I, I, I don't know what I, I needed to do. I think I had to, to, to look at, a, at my young, at the time, my youngest daughter's bike for something. And all of a sudden I hear my oldest daughter screaming. I'm like, what, what just happened? And she comes walking up and she, I said, what happened? You know, she's just crying and, and, uh, what happened? She said, I rode off the steps. <laughs> she trying to do what I did. And through pain, she probably learned that she shouldn't have been doing that at that particular yeah. point. Uh, or through pain, she probably learned how to actually do it. You yeah. Know, get yeah. speed as opposed to just approach it. And, you know, it's like riding those rock gardens with you today. I, I watch you just like coast through them and, uh, you know, it, the rock gardens are, aren't my thing. So, uh, uh yeah. Every time I, every time I had to put a foot down or, or, get knocked out a little bit sideways so much that you had to put a foot down. You know, I, I learned a little bit on how to, how to approach this. That's a good point. If we're still, we're always learning, you know, from, oh, yeah. and, and that's a, yeah. yeah, as parents, we shouldn't take away from our kids and as adults, we shouldn't take it away from us. I mean, yeah. you, yeah, yeah, you were putting a foot down, but you also were having a great time. Oh yeah, absolutely. And yeah. that's yeah. the, that's the metric by which, yeah. you know, yeah. at least I define a yeah. good ride. Like, yeah, it's yeah. challenging, but I can have fun with that yeah. challenge. It doesn't have yeah. to discourage me. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I was telling you earlier that, uh, I mean, I've been coming out here for years and when I first came out, it, it beat me up really good. Yeah. And I, I was like, man, how could anyone do this? You know, yeah. I mean, my wife and I would have conversations all around like, this is unrideable. Like yeah. this is, this is crazy. Yep. Yep. But no, you know, you work at it a while and you're like, okay, I can ride. Plus yeah. I got a, a plus bike. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah, and yeah. so I cheated. I yeah. got the full suspension. Yeah, but still, yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, I, I would have. I would, I'd, I'd like to feel. I, I've never owned a full suspension bike. Uh, I've, I've ridden a couple. Um, oh, man, when you're old, it's the move. Yeah, yeah. But I do have a plus bike. I just didn't bring it uh, with me on this trip. But. Well, yeah, and that goes back to the terrain that you're around. Yeah, and we were talking about yeah. that too. I mean, you you buy the bikes that make the most sense for the type of riding that you do. Right. And you know that bike is one I got to where you know, I'm trying to simplify things so I can, you know, ride around Texas. It's overkill, but it's fun. Yeah. I can take yeah. it up to some mountains and yeah. then it's really yeah. doing its thing. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the, the whole learning thing, I, I think also as parents, having your kids see you learn stuff also is really important, you know, because yeah. that means that they know that this is a continual mm-hmm. thing, a constant thing that you do throughout your life. Yeah. Yeah. That's so true. And 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 be honest with them when you fail and yeah. you know talk yeah. about it. Well, the best know? thing that you can ever say uh in in a lot of circumstances is I don't know. I agree. You know? And and then but that almost em- emphasizes or encourages you to find out, you know, to do to do the It should or work. find out together. You yeah. know what you yeah. know that's a great thing you do. I yeah. mean, we live in the world of information. Yeah. We can't fake it like our parents did. Right. Right. We had the Encyclopedia Britannica growing yeah, up. Yeah, and, yeah. You know, that's what I got all yeah. my information from. So now if you don't tell them, they're just going to go Google it. Yeah. So yeah. you, you yep. better better beat them to it. Yep, exactly. Um, so I wanted to uh, talk to you about one, something that I struggle with going outside mm-hmm. and that desire to, to capture a moment mm-hmm. and... I struggle with finding that balance between like being in the moment and really enjoying it right. and, 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 you know, appreciating everything about that moment and trying to soak it in mm-hmm. and then taking a picture. Right. Right. You know, and, yeah. um, yeah, it, there's a balance there and I'm kind of yeah. curious if that's yeah. something that you struggle with and it, so t- to be honest, I, I don't struggle with that because being in the moment involves me a lot of times also having the camera. In, in, in making the pictures, but I, I do actually 
come across a fair number of students that have that same they they you know struggle may not be the right word but 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 they definitely run into that that you know I'm in this amazing place it may be the only time I'm ever here and I just want to soak it in for a second and and I I I just have to, I totally get it I totally understand that I mean I've stood on top of mountains in New Zealand with students and you know a, some of them won't won't shoot a single picture until I actually tell them to. <laughs> uh, and I, I mean, I, I, I really appreciate the fact that they're appreciating that yeah, moment. Yeah. Uh, because if they don't, at that particular point in time, they may never seek that kind of experience again. Cause, and this, this goes well beyond the camera. This goes into simply living in a, an experience-based life, a life that, you know, we, we, we say is, is full of adventure, like true adventure. And well, is it so. because to be, and I, I, you tell me, but it, it would seem that to be a good photographer, a really good photographer, that you do need to be in that moment and you need to know yeah. what that moment is yeah, to be able to capture it. Absolutely. Yeah. It's just, it's simply the, the only difference is that, that, that moment that you're having also involves being behind the camera. I love. So, I, so for you, the camera isn't a distraction. No, or, okay. no, not yeah. at all. I mean, if anything, it's it's a it's a way for me to access the environment or that context that much more. Yeah. I always tell people like the camera is one of the greatest keys to unlocking you know all sorts of things uh, that you'll ever come across, and it it gives reason for me to go exploring more and more into that that experience and that environment. So whenever I'm at the top of the mountain, I'm. I'm taking it all in simply through the camera. Uh, I can still use my ears, you know. I'm still I, I can still use my my sense of touch. So I'm I'm sensitive, uh, intensely sensitive to the environment. Um, but my you know my passion is to to also visually uh, make things in that environment, and so that's a great way for me to see. My 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 memories are based around photographs. Yeah, hmm. the camera's always with me uh and my you know some of my 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 greatest memories i couldn't sometimes i probably couldn't even bring them up to you right now but if we were going through my archive or through my portfolio i could tell you i'm a visual story about that picture yeah Yeah. and uh and and i was influenced that way uh by by my mentor and you know maybe it's just something that that uh, i I have because of him but I, i feel like there's a other professional photographers that have the exact same uh experience and would probably give you a very similar response I've had a couple interesting or you know, like thoughts lately about taking photography. And one is that it kind of forces you to look at things, um, you know, more closely, like yeah. at maybe in a different way. Um, you know, whatever it is, you just look around and there's yeah. really beauty everywhere. So you can yeah. take a picture of a rock or you can take a picture of a landscape. And, yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, you can break it down that way. Yeah. And the other thing you touched on was how, um, it, it, it serves as a lasting memory of those moments. And I have a terrible memory. So yeah, those pictures yeah. are very valuable to me because I go back and I'm like, oh man, I remember that. Yeah, you know, I yeah. mean, you, you, I, I recall all these, you know, memories and emotions and stuff that come flooding back whenever yeah. I look at a, at a, at a picture. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It, it, and it, I, I've become so used to that being the norm and other photographers would probably tell you the same thing that whenever whenever I'm, I'm, I'm biking, my, my biggest struggle is, is photographing off the bike because I got into cycling, uh, or as intensely as I do now without the camera, it was my way of, uh, you know, ha- having a, a de-stressed, 
experience throughout the day, something that kind of lets lets me just debrief or mm-hmm. not think about much. And and but and maybe again, maybe it's just the practical sense. I was like, I'm spending a lot of time on the bike. I need to be able to justify spending a lot of time on the bike. So I'm going to start taking a camera with me. And uh, and I found out that I I also love photographing cycling and cycling activities and and especially the adventure component of it and and so uh, my my struggle right now is is really you know I I, I want to enjoy the ride but I also want to make pictures of the ride yeah uh, and so what what is your approach to that well I I don't I don't go out with the camera every time now when I okay. ride yeah there, there's uh, particularly when I'm if I'm riding by myself I don't you know I I I, I don't take pictures of, of my bike that often. And, um, although, you know, if, if it's a really great experience that, you know, I just pull out my phone and, and take some photos and I'll share it on Instagram stories or something, or, or won't share it at all sometimes. But, but, uh, but there are, there are times though, when I, I feel like I'll, I'll think of a shot I want to get or, or I'll set up a, a route that's new, that's kind of exploratory and I want to take my camera with me. Uh, and a lot of times that's, that's uh, a route or an experience that I share with my brother because he rides, we ride together. Uh, I probably ride with him more than I ride with anybody else now. And we spend a lot of time together. He's also a photographer. And so we, uh, we kind of share that interest as well. We all, we, we really share the, that exploration interest. And so for us, it's, it's, it's almost a way to, to, to document for ourselves the, 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 yeah, you know, the miniature expedition that we we might have had fortunately you know for for me and and for others uh, particularly in the backpacking world you know it's turned into a bit you know a component of our professional life as well so yeah yeah um so how do you know what is you know peel back the curtain a little bit so you and your yeah. brother go on a ride yeah and are y'all like staging shots or not not often no you know, tell a non-professional yeah. photographer yeah. You know, what kind of your approach yeah. to capturing a good photo on a ride or, yeah. or what you're trying to accomplish. Yeah. So so a lot of the stuff that, that we do together are, are longer gravel rides or, or just, you know, dirt touring types of rides. And so uh, I, I hardly ever stage anything. And, and, and I, I don't like the word stage. And it's I don't know if many photographers that shoot editorial and, and journalistic type stuff uh, like that word. But well, there are times where, you know, every now and then I'll I'll have him rewrite a, a spot just so I can make sure I nailed the shot because that shot still represents the experience we had in that in that particular moment in that particular area. Um, but not often. And of course, where I live, uh, y- you can see everything for three miles ahead yeah. of you. So you know, if there's something ahead, I'll just tell him, "Hey, I'm going to go ahead." Uh, and photograph. Uh, I recently shot um, a four-day dirt tour for Texas Parks and Wildlife magazine from Mother Neff State Park all the way up to Possum Kingdom State Park. Yeah. And every time we came across a river or a creek crossing, you know, I would tell them like, "Hold up, I need to go across <laughs> first so I can get photographs of you guys coming across." Yeah. Um, and you know, th- so it's it's those are bit, those are the not, most staged but yeah. we they were going to have to do that anyways right. you know there yeah. there was no getting in a car and going okay. across the river yeah, yeah that that that's my approach oftentimes is I'll yeah. say cuz we're in Texas so we can see a long way so I'll be like all right I'm I'm going to go up and yeah. snap some pictures and yeah. um I I I basically try to do the same thing yeah. Um, yeah. yeah but so. I'll, you know what you know, what I have control over 
ethically is, is telling a story from a different perspective. And so I'll climb the side of a cliff to get a shot of cyclists coming down yeah. uh, sometimes or, or, you know, uh, you know, wade knee deep in, in a river just to, to get to a different vantage point. So it's not staging, but it's definitely offering a different perspective on, on the context. And I've activity. been curious about that when, when photographers, I mean, when you're say, setting a shot like that, do you like, do you ever get to a vantage point and be like, Oh, it looks like shit up here. And then yeah. you have to go and okay. Yeah. All the time. Yeah. <laughs> all the time. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, you know, I think, I think a lot of people have this misconception that, you know, photographers, that especially, especially landscape photographers and adventure photographers, they, they, uh, they just know where to be. And, yeah. And they I do because that, they've yeah. made a lot of mistakes. <laughs> they do because they've climbed to that point and be like, you know what? I spent two hours climbing to this point and it's not really worth it, but I had to check it out. You know, I had to, and, you know, it's part of the adventure then. Yeah. Adventure photography. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. There, there is that, that part of that really attractive, uh, experience for the photographer, him or herself as well. And, yeah. uh, we, you know, we did that, we did that story over the course of four days. We rode 223 miles. Um, we, I, I shot close to, close to four to 5,000 photos. I'll probably send maybe a hundred to the magazine and, and they'll, they'll, they'll use maybe, maybe 10 at most. Wow. But I'm, I'm, I'm guessing that they'll maybe use closer to like between seven and nine. Wow. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you brought that up. I was actually, <laughs> you're right on, right on cue. Yeah. Uh, so that's actually how I found out about you. Yeah. Um, Texas bikepacking, I think on Facebook, yeah. you posted yeah. up that you and a couple guys were doing a route. Mm -hmm. I mean, you didn't give a lot of information. It was just like, hey, we're looking for some connector routes. Yep. And I kind of, I was like, oh, this sounds interesting. Anytime I see anyone doing anything in Texas, I'm like, all right, let me yeah. dig into this a little bit. Yeah. So I reached out to you and kind of got a little bit of the scoop. And um, yeah. anyway, yeah, I, I, I still don't know. I've intentionally remained ignorant on this so you yeah. could tell me all about it. But yeah. Let's let's hear it. Yeah, so the the story is is for Parks and Wildlife magazine, and it's um, it's you know they 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 run a, a cycling story once a year uh, or or so, and but there's never been a bike packing story uh, to my knowledge in the in the magazine. Um, and uh, the writer uh, for the story, uh, who's who is a Texan but currently lives in Colorado, uh, got in touch with me. He found me through Instagram. Uh, and he found, he knew I did the adventure media class and he was going to write this story on bikepacking in Texas and he wanted to interview me. Then he found out I was a photographer, followed me on Instagram and, and he asked the magazine, he said, I'm thinking about getting Jared or asking Jared to photograph it too. Would you like to do it? Uh, and they said, yeah. And so we, we teamed up and it, it's, uh, it, it, it's, it's a bike journey. Uh, it, but it's also a way to illustrate that even in a state that is, 95% privately owned, uh, where trespassing is, is a big no, no, yep. you know, um, there's still a way to do what public land in other States allows, allows you to do with a whole lot more ease. It, particularly if you're interested in bike packing, mm -hmm. um, or bike touring and, and it, it's a brilliant idea. He, he, he highlights the fact that, you know, you can use our public lands as point to point, as points mm -hmm. along your bikepacking experience. And so we started at Mother Neff State Park, which is the oldest state park. 
and we hit three or four other parks on our way up to Possum Kingdom Lake State Park. And so every day, the the, the biggest mileage day we had was, um, I think, 80 miles, 75 to 80 miles. And that was that, that was the first day, and we rode from Mother Neff to Meridian uh, State Park. Uh, and and these are parks that I'd actually never been to. Um, I haven't been to either and, one of them either. And, and they're beautiful parks. Uh, Mother Neff is, is awesome. It's small, but a lot of these, these hill country parks are pretty small. Yeah. And so, so we rode from, from and, and you get a totally different experience when you're using state parks as your bases, as opposed to going to going to the state park and spending your entire time there, um, which is extremely valuable. And I'm fortunate to live in an area of Texas where you still have to drive a long ways to get to them, but the state parks around us are huge. Mm. And so you can literally spend days, if not weeks and months exploring the, oh, yeah. the state parks. Um what were the roads like in between the parks? They they were uh, surprisingly awesome for for gravel cyclists. Um, I, I was it all, or were you trying to do mostly uh, gravel connectors? Yeah, okay, yeah. Cool. So so we we it, it was we were going to be doing it on gravel bikes. We didn't want to stay on the main thoroughfares. Safety one, but also gravel cycling is awesome. Like, yeah, it's it's, <laughs> it's the, way better. Yeah, it's 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 tons better. <laughs> And, um, but it's also really, really attractive to somebody that really wants to get into cycling, but doesn't want to ride road Yeah, because road want, yeah. comes with its inherent risks. Yep. And, and so we started, we just started mapping out these back roads. So I mapped out the first two legs and he mapped out the, the second two legs. Um, and you, you know, we used ride with GPS and you can just zoom in on the map and you can tell that there's a. That that's a dirt road. Yeah, yeah. You know? And then you go yeah. ride it. Yeah, that's fun. And sometimes those roads don't exist. You know, when you get yeah, to sometimes. it, you know, sometimes had, it's an oil filled road yeah, with a gate on yeah, it. Yeah. yeah, we had two or three roads that that didn't exist. But we were, you know, that's also part of the journey, right? You you yeah. you experience this this kind of problem solving uh, that, that comes along with it. So but, are y'all yeah. are y'all uh, publishing the route as well? As... We will, yeah, we will in April. And and the only reason we're kind of being a little bit not secretive about it, but, but we're just withholding the information is because in the editorial world, typically you wait until the mm-hmm. story is published before you actually release that kind of information. You can go check my Strava. It's all there. <laughs> you know? uh, and I'm pretty sure it's public on ride with GPS as well. You can just find my, it's just Jared Foster, I think. But, yeah. but, um, but in terms of making a big to do about it and I, and I had such a, a hard time. That was the first time I'd actually probably ever, commented on that texas backpacking page i i've been a a member of the page for a while and and i really like hearing everybody in the communities and put on stuff but i I never really kind of voiced anything and i certainly didn't want to come across saying like well i'm this photographer and i'm doing a story and and, uh but i you know i I did want to be honest with what we were doing and Mm -hmm. and uh there was good response to it yeah um uh, kevin lee even from spinistry sent a route that would have been really great to do um, but we, we were building a, a route that we thought could be handled by a non-cycling general public at some point. So the first, the first day was a, a long distance, 75 to 80 miles. The second day was only 35 miles, uh, from Meridian to Dinosaur Valley State Park. And, you know, for somebody that's really, you know, new to cycling, but wants to also get into, you know, dirt touring or, or gravel riding, whatever you want to call it, it's pretty easy to build 
a, a 24 hour out and back based around a ride from Meridian to Dinosaur Valley and back. Hmm. And, you know, if you're a bit more advanced, then you can do a 75 out, you know, out yeah. and back. The The next day, which for me was the hardest day, was our ride from Dinosaur Valley to a park that actually doesn't exist right now. Um, hopefully it will be in the future, called Palapinta Mountains State hmm. Park. And that's just outside of a small town called Strawn, uh, a little bit off of I-20. And... It, it, it honestly, it, it was it was one of the greatest days on the bikes, but it was pretty tough too. And uh, that one was, I think, close to seventy five miles, um, all uphill, mm-hmm. and it just happened to be uphill in the wind as a norther was blowing over us. <laughs> um, and uh, and we knew it was going to be a pretty uh, arduous day, loaded down on gravel bikes, and and so we got to it. But what's we, your uh, bike with all your equipment? How how much weight were you carrying? You know, I, I don't, I don't. No, don't I don't want to know. Yeah, I mean, it, it it was heavier than it normally is. Um, <laughs> let's see, it it probably weighed forty pounds. I mean, that's you not, know, not crazy, but uh, but for a, a gravel bike, yeah, it's, that's a lot. You know, I, I think, but and and I, and I try to travel pretty minimally. I don't carry a tent. Um, I carry a bivy, but I didn't. I don't think I stayed in the bivy at all. Oh, nice. uh, that that whole trip and. Um, you know, I, I got some, some pretty lightweight gear, but, um, but still, you know, I, I, I do you're that. You're going to feel it uphill into the wind. You're yeah. going to feel it. Yeah. Yeah. And I have, I have tried to do, try to go as lightweight as I can on, on my living gear because I've got to carry That's cameras too. You got to offset yeah, your camera gear. Carry two cameras and two lenses and, and wow. that, that weighs you down. Yeah. Bit, batteries. So. About six, seven batteries. Yeah. Yeah. Memory, anyway, memory so cards, yeah, day you know, two was solar the... charger and all that kind of stuff. Oh man, yeah. day day three. Uh, so when oh, we three. when we published the story, day three is is gonna look like the hardest. But we rode into so Strong. There's a place in Strong called Mary's or Mary's Cafe, something like that. It's mm. this hole in the wall place that that uh, is famous for chicken fried steaks, and uh, they're certainly the biggest chicken fried steaks I've ever seen. <laughs> and and we cleaned house uh, in there, and uh, so. Did that and it was cold. I just remember sitting in that restaurant and freezing my tail off. And it wasn't cold in the restaurant, but I was just to my core. I was really cold. Yeah. While we were eating, and then we rode in in about six miles uh, west of town uh, in the dark to get to our our campsite, which Palapinta Mountains State Park is is an area that TPW purchased, but it hasn't been. There's no budget for it to be developed yet. And when it gets developed, it's going to be awesome. It, it, and especially for cyclists, if they if they bring, especially the people out from like, they build the Dorba trails in the DFW area, it, it could really be, um, you know, kind of a mecca for Texas mountain biking. Awesome. Uh, it's got a lake um, in the in the center of the the property, and so it'll, it'll be really neat. But uh, you know, unfortunately, that that won't be a place that people could just go uh, amongst the story. But the idea is to go from the oldest state park, Mother Neff. To the newest state park, nice. Which I think by twenty twenty three, they they say that park's gonna be ready to go. Do you have any thoughts on how TPWD can get better funding? Because it's surprising to me that in Texas, where hunting is so popular, and right. and as a state, a lot of uh, our our public lands are financed and mm-hmm. by the budget that comes from hunting. Mm-hmm. I, I'm a little bit surprised that they don't have any funds to develop that park. Well, I think I, th- I think there, there's a, a number of things that that ha- have to happen, you know, or could happen a, a 
a donor makes a or, or a group of donors makes a generous donation to develop a park like that. Um, you know, different legislative sessions will set different budgets for for parks and wildlife. Um, that could factor into it. Um, the neat thing, if 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 we're really if we're really paying attention to to our state parks uh, over the past five years, especially attendance to state parks has has just blown up. Hmm. Uh, you know, there there are parks down here in the hill country that you have to wait an hour in line to even enter the park. You have to book them a year in advance. You have to book them a year in yeah. advance, and uh, that's you know, what happens when you have five percent public lands. It, it, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so, but I think. You know, if you look at it from a business perspective, you see the demand for mm-hmm. it. Well, the demand then will hopefully be followed up yeah. with a way to That's a good point. To expand. In addition to the hunting yeah. is uh, the parks that we do have are flooded with people. Yeah, um, yeah. And we have great parks. Like, there, you know, you can go to other states and other states have, nat- you know, federal land. That's mm-hmm. awesome. But sometimes their state parks aren't, aren't all that great. We have really good state parks. Um and because we don't have a lot of federal we, land. We don't have, yeah, we, yeah, there's not much uh, uh, federal land here. But um, but we do have good parks, and we do have pr- people that are really proud of the parks. I think that the state, I mean, Texas is, is, is a state that is proud of sure. of what Texas is. Yeah. And fortunately, that, that trickles down to the even, even you know, the, 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 the public um, properties and resources that we have. Mm. And uh, so we have good parks, and we have a lot of pride in those parks. We just we need we need more access now, yeah, uh, more than ever because we're finally seeing a, a people using them. Yeah. And as as a as somebody that that is is raising three daughters that that I don't want to take for granted the fact that we we have access to the outdoors and what that does to you know, for their, 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 their spirit and their intellectual abilities and stuff like that. That's awesome. Like to see, you know, so many people gravitating to the parks because they're there. Yeah. You know, I think that's one place where we, we come together. It seems like is uh, I've, I I live in Texas and I would maybe love to live in a lot of different places, but I don't, I live in Texas. And so I've, I've become increasingly more interested in in taking advantage of the opportunities that are here like sam houston national forest is 50 minutes from my house and yeah, yeah. i always go to like these far off places and I'm yeah. like no you know like yeah. let's let's set, shed some light on what texas does have yeah because yeah. we need people to go out and and put out information because really texas does have a lot of um natural beauty and a lot of great parks and mm-hmm. public lands i mean what we do have like you said is nice and yeah. there yeah. is opportunity here yeah. um but there's not a lot of people that are shedding light on it and so whenever i heard about your tpw uh, texas parks wildlife department mm-hmm. uh tpwd uh that project i i mean i think that's super cool yeah but then i also recently learned that you're doing another one called the panhandle project I well think. We, we're we're or hashtagging it the great plains project the great plains, I mean, that's kind of the yeah. working title for it yeah well, yeah what's yeah. going on with that yeah well it, you you made a, a really good point about uh making sure that, that you appreciate what's near you uh and, and in texas what's near you might be 800 miles away but still it's it's within our our region and we often get so romantic about going away yes right that we don't really appreciate where where we're at i've lived in lubbock uh which for your listeners that don't know where lubbock is it's it's uh it is the middle of of 
the middle <laughs> in, in Texas. It's what we call West Texas, and it's on the, the southern high plains um, of, of the Great Plains area in the United States. And it's this largely flat um, farming uh, yeah, there's not much out there. Yeah. yeah. What's it, the closest? I mean, Lubbock is a fairly big city. Yeah, so Lubbock's that, about 300,000. Yeah. And then you got Abilene or something. Abilene's about three hours south. They're smaller. Uh, Amarillo's two hours north. They have I-40 going through them, but they're actually a smaller city. At least I, last time I checked. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so it's we there. are the hub city. Yeah. 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 And, and, and we service a lot of people from Eastern New Mexico. Uh, th- those are both services and economies and stuff like that. And but it's it's largely a, a university town that uh, was a, a cotton and agricultural town before, uh, and still is largely. That's why, as a university town, it's still so big, uh, because there's a viable economy out there uh, through ag-, ag and oil and, and health services. But um, but we, I've lived out there since 2002, and uh, you know I I I make a a fair amount of the living I make off photography, photographing that area or, or within a, you know, a three hour radius of, of, of Lubbock. And, and, uh, but I, you know, it's one of those things like, I, I don't know just a ton about the area's history. And, mm-hmm. uh, I know, you know, about the area's ecology to some extent, but it's also a changed ecology because, you know, nearly all of it's farm and, and ranch land. It's not the great plains as we romanticize. Um, and, I I was listening to a, a podcast actually Mountain and Prairie. Uh, Ed Robertson uh, interviews a, a lot of really interesting people that have uh, a tie and leadership on on uh, looking at uh, the the American West. And he, he interviewed uh, Dan Flores uh, one time. And, uh, American Coyote or Coyote uh, America. Coyote America. Yeah. American Serengeti. Yeah. Yeah. And I, great great author. Great books. Yeah, absolutely. And and I, I read. Through that, after that interview, I read American Serengeti, and I just became infatuated with the Great Plains. And so I, I've, you know, like uh, like a lot of professors, you know, I just kind of dove into a bunch of books and started kind of nerding out about the plains, and still do. In fact, I'm, uh, you know, reading a, a a book that was written in nineteen uh, the early 1900s uh, right now okay. uh, on the Great Plains, and it's just informing what I want to do. So anyways, the Great Plains Project is... is no, that's good. That's some good back here, yeah, background. Yeah, it's a, it's a, an attempt to create a bike route, a, a dirt and back road bike route from Lubbock, which is a central point on, on the southern end of the Great, the Great Plains, mm-hmm. um, all the way up to, to Calgary, uh, Alberta, which is, which is just east of the Rockies, but still basically at the end of the plains as it, pulls into the Rockies. Oh, wow. And of course, Banff is just a little yeah. bit inside the Rockies from there. So you're going to tie into the Tour Divide route? Well, it, it, it just happened. I, I really just wanted to go up to the United States. And then I got to thinking about the Tour Divide route. It When you look at the routes, because it took me about a month to actually design the route. And when you look at them, they actually somewhat parallel in, in their trajectory. Obviously, one of them's in the mountains and one of them's not. But, but if you look at them, they kind of parallel. Uh, and... I thought, why not take this all the way to Calgary? Because Calgary is this recognized city on the plains with the mountains right outside its back door. Um, and so it, it kind of completes the idea of riding the Great Plains. Um, so that's that's what we're we're doing right now. We've wow. and, and How many miles? Do you have any sense it's, for... It's a little mi- over 3,500 miles. 
Nice. Yeah. So it's it's a it's a long route. Um, and what and what kind of terrain? I mean, in terms of, uh, are you doing mostly gravel roads? Trying to do it, it right now. If if all the roads exist that we mapped mapped it out on, um, then it'll it'll be. I'm I'm confident that it's it's eighty percent or more um, gravel. So when is your road. first uh, test ride? We we've done three already. So we we've ridden from Lubbock uh, to Plainview, uh, which is about forty five miles north of of Lubbock by a crow, but it's seventy miles <laughs> under mm-hmm. roads. And then <clears throat> a couple weekends back, we rode from Plainview to a little town called McLean up in the Texas Panhandle. Um, and all together, that was about a hundred. I think 170 miles. And so we're just taking these a leg at a time. And, and are you doing ride notes and are you going to do yeah, like amenities, so, accommodations, that kind of stuff? Well, we're, we're going to take it a, a little <laughs> a step further. It's a, it's a big that. project. Yeah, yeah. It, it's a big project. And, and uh, you know, I, I'm very, very fortunate to get to think about these big projects as also work. Yeah. And so we're actually uh, right now in the stages of pitching putting together a pitch for a docu-series on the great plains by bike oh cool yeah uh, and so we've we've actually filmed these legs and uh we've 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 put together a small uh pitch piece that i've actually shown uh, several people here in, in town as i'm visiting some of my clients and and uh, it, it's a way to combine everything that that i love mm-hmm. to do professionally uh being on the bike but also uh, photographing, and then we we have a, a small crew that at the moment is committed to to seeing it through the pitch at least. And if we can get some funding uh, through you know grants, I'd I'd love to see this be like a PBS thing. Uh, but yeah. uh, you know a a docu series up the up the Great Plains. Um, yeah, yeah. And that, so we that is so cool. Yeah, yeah. And, and, <laughs> I thought it was yeah. just going to be in Texas. So no, nah, no. Nah, yeah, it's all over. So we, we like, nah. <laughs> I'm a Texan. I didn't. I didn't want to stop here. We'll <laughs> yeah. Go all the way up to Canada. Yeah, yeah. We we jump over to. So we we jump nearly all the way across Oklahoma, and we'll we'll definitely we've routed it through Stillwater because you you can't not you know route through land run country. You just can't. And. And, uh, you know, they're, they're doing more for, for gravel cycling right now than, than a lot of people. And, uh, and Bobby, I've never met him, but man, I, I, I can feel his charisma through yeah. interviews and I just want to, I want to go talk to the You want to get a hug, yeah, don't I want to ride with him, you know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's the funny thing. My brother's doing land run okay. this year. I'm not able to every year because I'm teaching the adventure media class during spring break. And it always yeah. happens that, that last Saturday. But we'll also go up. There's so many good races that time of year. It's yeah, tough to pick. Yeah, There's yeah. always always stuff going on. Yep, yep. They they sold out in eight minutes this year. Yeah, it was quick. Yeah, it was quick. And, and, and it's going. a it's a yeah. And that race that race in and of itself has got a really cool story. You know, there's no he, he's he's not trying to just go out and get everybody uh, as a sponsor. It, it's it's what a gravel race uh, you know ought to be yeah you know and, and I, th- I feel like it's got more community about it than than most and uh, and that's that's from the outside looking in i've never i've, I've never done never it done it you it's know? on my radar yeah. but there's always other things that uh fall at the same time yeah yeah i i, I lean a little bit more towards like the adventure bikepacking type mm-hmm. events mm-hmm. um but i mean the land run is definitely one that i like to try I like yeah. to do the double yeah. the 200 
really oh, make really? it hurt. Yeah. I mean, yeah. why not? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think it probably just depends on the year, right? I mean, and of course, you can't ever predict the, the, the circumstances. You know, they either That's have rain or really, really dry thing. and cold. Yeah, 200 and rain and yeah. cold. Uh, I'd, yeah. I'd, I'd, I'd opt for the 20, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. Things can change really quick. But we'll, we'll, we'll take it through Emporia yeah. as well. And we'll take it through Lincoln, uh, Nebraska, and then, and we'll cut up through the Black Hills. And, you know, part of that's we're going to cut up through the Black Hills mostly because to show people that this, the plains aren't flat. You know, it, it's not a uh, an unfeatured area. Yeah, uh, it's got a lot of topography and and there, there's so much beauty and so much history. And it's one of the most important areas in the entire world for the entire world uh, because of how it's been transformed. What uh, what stage are you at with uh, like when do you think the project will be completed? Maybe uh, I mean if we if we did really get funding uh, to to do the series, then it, it I I couldn't see it being done in less than a, a year. Uh, but uh, I think I think the a more realistic approach if we were to do the the series. Um, I'm also wanting to shoot a book uh, along the way. Uh, it, it'd take at least two years to make it a realization. Yeah, I mean that that seems reasonable. Yeah, I but, was thinking it might even be a longer term project project uh, it, than that, and it very well could be. Whenever you know, it just you... depends on if we how, how we cobble together some monies to make it because it's it's not it's you know you, you always when you jump into these me, these big media productions it's it's really cool work. But it's work, yeah. and uh, you know, I, I I need to to do it at the level that we want to do it. I need to be able to pay people so they can film it and edit it and score it and things like that. What would so, the, yeah? What would the crew look like for something like that if you were going to yeah. do it the way you wanted it to do? Right now, it's three people, um, and so they they uh, they're it's a a colleague of mine uh, who's also a professor of practice. Uh, he's a he's a filmmaker, documentary filmmaker, and then. Uh, two of our graduate students, actually, uh, who are, are just, uh, you know, solid. Uh, they're, they're super creative. They're, they're, they can execute uh, both stills and video extremely well. And, and so that, that's our crew at the moment. Um, you know, fortunately, I can, I can help out in some circumstances. Uh, I don't want to be just overly involved whenever we're doing the rise, but on the edit, on the back, the post-production end of things, like I, I can jump in mm-hmm. and help out as well. Um, but even for a lot of, you know, non-sponsored productions, that's still kind of a bigger, bigger crew, even though it's only three people. Um, but that's, that's kind of what it looks like right now. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Um, yeah, it's, it's interesting how like your life and again, it hasn't happened by accident, Mm -hmm. but you've been able to take the photography and then you're a professor Mm -hmm. and you're using bike packing and and bicycles as a way to, um, introduce your kids to outdoors, give them a a medium for getting out and capturing the shots that they need to capture. And then you're able to utilize those students. You're able to work with them for a while. And if you have a project like the great plains project, you can say, Hey, I'd like to to recruit you. I'd like to bring you on this journey with me. So you give them the real world, uh, the taste or not the taste of real world. That's, that's a real meal deal. right It it is. Yeah. And and that's, that's, uh, you know, my, I I think in an ideal situation professionally at, at, at the university, that's exactly what I would do all the time. I mean, that's what, that's what we did with the junction photography class. That's what I do with the study abroads I teach. The adventure media class is probably the most intensely tied to the to the industry that that uh, out of all the classes I teach because we actually set up 
uh, clients for the class and the clients vary year to year. It also, those clients also dictate what we do uh, year to year uh, from a, a creative production perspective. So the first year we worked for uh, um, a couple local retailers in town, outdoor retailers, Mountain Hideaway, Velocity Bikes, but we also hooked up with Tailwind Nutrition. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, they they sponsored us some product and we provided them some social media product. And um, and then the next year we worked, uh, we, we took the, the class to uh, the Lincoln National Forest based around Ruidoso, New Mexico. And we did work exclusively for the the village of Ruidoso in their tourism campaigns. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it gave us a client with professional expectations. And so, and this year we've been, uh, we've been talking a lot um, uh, and I owe some people some emails. I've been on the road so much, but uh, we've, we've been talking with actually Kurt Ref Snyder and Caitlin Boyle about doing some work with bikepacking roots. Yeah. So they're, they're nonprofit. And then um, we're, we're going to be doing some social media content production for Oveja Negra. Uh, they've been a, a, a huge supporter of the class this I year. I saw they shipped y'all a bunch of bike bags. They did, yeah, yeah. They they and and, and they're super people uh, up there. I talked to Lane on the phone briefly the other day just to tell her thanks uh, for for their support, and you know she's going to Skype in with the class at yeah. one point and talk about their, you know, get let her give the class a real world marketing rundown for them in this market. Yeah. It's adventure market, and no, nothing could be more valuable. Yeah, like this yeah. Is... And so she's one of our clients, and and uh, you know I, I'm I'm super honored that they that they have that interest in us because you know three years ago I wouldn't have thought that we'd have anybody behind us because I'm I'm I don't bring with me a name in the cycling world that I can just grab, right. you know, grab sponsorship. Um, no, but and, what you're doing is is special. I mean, it's a really neat thing yeah. to be using bike packing in the way that you are and introducing kids to it. Yeah, so, yeah. you know, I'd hope that the yeah. community would step up. It is, you know, yeah, it's still yeah. kind of a fresh and a young thing. Like we were talking, yeah. I mean, bike yeah. packing is still a niche sport and a niche sport kind of. And, uh, yeah. so it's good. We need everybody who likes to ride bikes and everybody who likes to preserve yeah. natural resources and yeah. the great outdoors. Yeah. We need us to all work together and to support each other and get the yeah. message out. And, yeah. you know, bike, you brought up bike packing routes They're yeah. They're another great organization that they actually just uh, did some, uh, don't, or asked for some donations and right, right. they asked for $6,000 and they got $10,000. Yeah. So yeah, the again, that was another there, thing yeah. where, yes, you have to vote with your dollars. You right. know, you, that's how you vote. If yep. you want something around, we need to, we need to go out and take pictures of it and yeah. let people know it's there. We need to do routes. Maybe we need to do a podcast. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. <laughs> well, and, and it's also, you know, bike, bike packing probably more than other areas of the sport. And I, I'm, you know, I've never been a, an athlete in the sport. Um, I like to think I can be competitive in, in some areas of it, but, but, uh, bikepacking allows you to, to really, I mean, j- just take in your environment a whole, whole lot more in a much, obviously in a slower way, but in a more unique way, uh, than other elements of, of the sport. And so, um, you know, we, one of the things we really stress with, uh, the, the adventure media class is that, you know, you can tell your, your own adventure story, uh, any time of day, but if you can use your experience at the same time to, uh, advocate or to relate a story that's not necessarily tied to cycling, but because you 
you actually tied it to cycling, uh, you can create a, a, a lot of interest in, in, in that particular. So the environment is one of them or, or public land access or, or, uh, you know, getting to know the, the state parks or learning about uh, flyover country, the great plains, right? I mean, one of the ways that we're generating interest in that, in that area and in those topics is simply because we, we rode through it yep. and we're, it, and, and I, I kind of get tired of the, the adventure story that is like the inward journey. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's a little navel gazing. And, 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 and there's some really beautiful stories out there. And some of them really do like resonate with people. But then you have a lot of stories that are just, it's just, it's about the person on the bike. Yeah. And it's not about where the person rode and, and, and the, maybe the issues that that area is facing or, or the, uh, uh, or, or, or the culture that exists in that particular part of the country. And, and we're, we're starting to see fewer and fewer of those kind of myopic uh, stories being told. Yeah. We're starting to see more of this, this kind of editorial style, uh, almost reportage. This is where I went. This is what this place is about. That kind of thing. Yeah. There's you a reason. A lot, a lot more routes being developed and, yeah, you know, good yeah. information being put out there. Tons of historic, you know, historians should love bikepacking because yeah. a lot of these are, are built, these more contemporary routes are built around what took place somewhere. Yeah. Um, and, and to me that that's, that's pretty cool. I mean, the Great Plains alone, you know, that it's, it's a migratory path for, you know, one of the most iconic animals in, in North America that, that barely exists. What know, is it? The bison. And, oh. But, uh, you know, that in and of itself, you know, there's almost kind of a migratory element to the Great Plains Project, yeah. especially if you did it all at once. And Yeah. Well, that's but, one thing I definitely wanted to do on the podcast is not just talk about the gear and, yeah. and, yeah. and you know, we, we all love the gear. It's fun to talk about. It that is stuff fun. It's yeah, awesome. Yeah. It is. yeah. But I, I want to get a little bit, I want to get to know the people Yeah. and, you know, what what are you doing? And I mean, and it's just, yeah, it, it's more than just like the surface of, yeah. oh, we like to go ride bikes and we like the outdoors. Okay. That's cool. That's yep. great. But you know, what are you doing about it or how are you enjoying it? Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, yeah. you don't always have to do something. I mean, the truth is, is that we need people to go out there and, um, make these, uh, well, keep the resources one and then show people how to use them. Yeah. And then we want people to go and we want them to enjoy it. I yeah, mean, we exactly. need people to yeah. go out there and enjoy them or yeah. they're just going to go away. One of the people we're going to be, one of the organizations I should say that we're going to be working with at this year's adventure media class is, is a, it's a news organization. It's kind of a, a, a nature and environmental news organization called planet forward. And, um, they're based out of a George Washington university in, in Washington, DC. And, and they, they learned about the class through one of the students that's helped me on the great plains project. He's, he's been involved in the class the past couple of years and he did some work with them. They sent him to Sacramento to, to shoot a story. And he, I, I, within 10 minutes, he must have mentioned, you know, after meeting, they must have mentioned the, this class and, and they were, their ears perked. And so we, we visited uh, about a month ago on the phone uh, with them. And, and uh, I, I love making this tie because it benefits the students so much. They, they want to feature the class in, in front of, uh, during their kind of big showcase, their annual showcase, and, and how the class and how there are academic opportunities out there that, that provide a way for students to, A, get out of the classroom, have that experiential learning context, but also how it ties them to appreciating the outdoors and, and their environment locally and, you know, regionally, whatever it may be. And so that's going to be a pretty neat opportunity, but that's, that to me is like the, the ultimate reason 
that I, I even work on the bike. Uh, I, I like to ride for a number of different reasons, but one of the reasons why I really, really like to shoot photographs off the bike and, and tie it into my, my professional uh, activity is because it's simply one of the coolest ways I've, I've been able to come across that puts me outdoors. Yeah. It puts me amongst uh, an environment that I, I need to learn about. And it lets me move at a pace that I can learn about it yeah. in a much more intimate way than you can sneak up on some an, uh, some wildlife. Yeah, you can see so oh, much yeah. wildlife yeah. on a bike whenever you're just cruising stealthy. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's beautiful. We saw a bald eagle uh, two weeks ago whenever we were in between Clarendon and or we, we were between Claude and Clarendon up in the Panhandle. I've never seen a bald eagle in my life. Never photographed one. Wow. Never really had much interest in photographing one because I knew it was just going to be really hard to do in Texas or even in the region, uh, the Southwest. And we 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 were cycling along. Had to stop to use the restroom, and I hear my brother say, "Bald eagle." And I thought he was joking with me. I was like, "What are you talking about?" <laughs> and he said, "No, there's a bald eagle." And I looked up, and there was a bald eagle, a big bald eagle, flying flying over us. And you wouldn't notice that if you're cruising down. No. 287 in a car. No, you, you wouldn't know? see it. So. We, I had a similar, uh, similar experience with my friend Ryan. We went to Sam Houston National Forest and doing some gravel riding. And there's a the road called like End of the Road Road, <laughs> uh, yeah. and it just terminates there at Lake Conroe. And we were sitting there enjoying it, and they had we had two bald eagles flying around. Um, and which was amazing. And he's actually a little bit of a birder, so yeah. they weren't just buzzards. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. I, uh, I like to joke around. I'm like, every time I see a bur- bur- buzzard, I'm like, oh, there's a bald eagle. Yeah. It's not <laughs> that funny. funny. Yeah. yeah. Well, and, and hashtag dad jokes. Yeah, when you understand like the the plight of the bald eagle in Texas, seeing one is even more special because they were they were exterminated in Texas. You know, even they're this this national icon. Yeah. They were a threat to livestock for a long time, and so. Yeah, it's the federal government did away with them in Texas, you know, essentially, yeah, or I guess the state government did. But, but um, you know, to see one now, it's it's more and more special. Yeah. It is. Yeah. Hey, man. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you uh, yeah. talking to me yeah, today. Well, thanks for having um, me. Yeah. yeah, really. Thank you for doing everything that you're doing. I mean, yeah. the way I found out about you was, you know, you going out and and making routes and and for other people to enjoy. And yeah. obviously, through your photography, I've been following you on Instagram and stuff. And uh yeah you're doing all the yeah. all the right things man well so. thanks i appreciate it. well i appreciate what you're doing i mean bringing this part up to the community i, I don't know I, I i don't know of any other bikepacking podcast or, yeah. or really one that has that as a key component to it so this has been really fun yeah, yeah i was like hey there's not really many people doing this yeah. so i guess i guess i'll do it <laughs> yeah oh, absolutely well i've enjoyed it so far and I, yeah I, you know i hope you keep hope you keep doing it i i intend to thank you man yeah. i appreciate it if people want to reach out to you or get in contact with you what's the best way for them to do that uh, pro- probably instagram uh right now i mean my, my website so you're at jared you at, want to spell it yeah at jared foster it's j-e-r-o-d Foster, F-O-S-T-E-R. Yep. Yep. And if you want to take your class, you're at Texas Tech University, Red Raiders, right? I am, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's it's kind of fun. I get to teach it at my alma mater, and it's it's not a whole lot of people get to do that, actually. So it's it's a lot of fun. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Well, you got so much going on. I hope uh, we can do this again yeah, uh, maybe in a year or so. And, yeah. uh, you maybe can... I'll get better at those rock gardens. Yeah, then, we'll come yeah. back here and do it again. <laughs> cool, awesome. <laughs> All right, thanks, Jared. Right, thank you. All right, bye. 
Thank you so much for tuning in. If you like this kind of content, please do me a huge favor and subscribe and rate the show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast. And if you want to follow along with what I've got going on or you want to support the show, I'm at Bikes or Death on Instagram or Patreon. Now get out there and ride your damn bike. Have a good one.